and welcome to A Bookish Home. I'm your host, librarian and writer, Laura Zara-Popinski, and today my guest is Maggie Smith, author of the new novel, Truth and Other Lies, which Kirkus called an engaging and topical tale of politics and journalistic ethics with a feminist slant. Maggie Smith's writing centers on women and the challenges they face in dealing with what life throws their way. She's the host of the weekly podcast, Hear Us Roar, where she interviews debut novelists for the Women's Fiction Writers Association. She pens a monthly blog for Rocky Mountain Fiction Writers and serves as managing editor for the Wright City Magazine, a literary publication of the Chicago Writers Association. She makes her home in Milwaukee. Maggie Smith, thank you for coming on A Bookish Home and congratulations on your debut novel. Well, thank you very much. It's been an exciting ride. <laughs> yes, I'm excited to hear about it. Um, so just to start, could you tell listeners a bit about Truth and Other Lies and the characters we meet in the book? Well, it centers around three women. Uh, one is a 25-year-old who's our protagonist. Her name is Megan, and she's an investigative reporter who's lost her job. And she's kind of come back to Chicago, which is her hometown, moved in with her overprotective and conservative political mother while she is a liberal. Um, And she's kind of searching for a role model because she doesn't want to really pattern herself after her mother. And she coincidentally runs into a very famous journalist. I tell people this is a little bit like running into Diane Sawyer or Oprah Winfrey and them adopting you kind of thing as their mentee. Uh, The person she runs into is named Jocelyn Jones, and she's a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist. And she takes Megan under her wing and kind of makes her her assistant in her PR campaign for a uh, autobiography that she's releasing. Megan's mother is unexpectedly running for Congress So she finds that she can't get any investigative reporter job until after the election. So she decides to go to work for Jocelyn. And it's the story of these three women kind of braided together as Jocelyn's career is threatened by somebody on social media who is accusing her of plagiarism. And she kind of turns to to her young 25-year-old socially media uh, savvy uh, assistant and says, go stop those people. You know, she's 65 years old. She's kind of like, just shut them down. I don't know how to stop this. Um, and so it's kind of the the story of Megan doing that. And eventually she gets involved in some secrets from 20 years ago that affect her mother, affect her, affect Jocelyn. Oh, it's such a fascinating read and um, definitely a page turner. I I thought the characters were each so just interesting and um, complicated. And I wondered kind of where the story first originated for you. Was it with one of these characters? Was it sort of a a murky sense of what the plot would be? Kind of what what was the seed for this? Initially, it was a prompt in a writing class. And it was, I could never write a book about. And I put mothers and daughters because I haven't been a biological mother myself. And um, my mother and I had a very contentious relationship. And I know a lot of people are very close to their mother, but I was not. And uh, so in my 20s, I found myself kind of looking around for role models and thinking, who can I pattern myself after? And kind of latching on to many slightly older women, not as old as my mother, but older women that were in the workplace. And so I thought that would be an interesting triumvirate, the mother, the daughter, 
and the mentor. And that was where it kind of sprang from. Initially, I wrote an entire novel with those three characters in an adoption story. It was a totally different plot than it is now and um, was advised by people who knew more about me, more about writing than I did as a novice writer who said, uh, you've got one really big coincidence in this, which is the uh, birth mother turns out to be um, the person that Megan goes to work for. And that's just too big a coincidence. The writer, the reader will throw the book across the room. And I thought, well, I don't want that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I came up with a different plot that those three kind of role, roles could function within. So this is what was, uh, this particular plot only took me about three or four months to write because I had already written the other novel and had the characters kind of in my head. And um, so out of it came this. That's so interesting. I have had revision on my mind a lot lately because um, <laughs> I, I am trying to revise myself and um, reading some books on revision and everything. And it's just so interesting that you kind of yeah the worst what... is the worst is when the developmental editor says you have to throw it all away and start over hopefully that doesn't happen to you <laughs> but but it's so interesting that then because you kind of really had such a good sense of the characters that it seems like you sort of were able to pretty quickly yeah. switch gears um, yeah I kind of pivoted uh, I also yeah. had all three of them having a point of view and I was advised that for a debut novelist, that might be a little bit much to take on. So oh, why didn't I pick one of them? So I did. So, um, and it, it's interesting because even even when I read the novel, it's 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 interesting to me that the mother and the mentor really never meet in my novel. They seem so intricately involved with each other, but you're always seeing them through the 25 year old protagonist's eyes. So. Um, that was interesting. Just as the author, somebody said, yeah, but they yeah. never meet. And I thought, oh, my gosh, that's right. They don't. <laughs> Ooh. And there's my revision board falling off of my wall. <laughs> that's timely. I have flashcards all over the wall that I'm trying to sort around. That makes sense. I um, hope that's not a sign. <laughs> um, uh, well, I'm curious, like, with having these three characters and I know it's not told in, in the other characters point of view, but was there a part of their, one of their stories that was hard for you to took a while for you to get right? Or was there a particular scene that was difficult to write as you kind of worked on this new draft? I think what I had the most difficulty with was writing the mother. Uh, she is different from me politically. Um, I also of course was, as any new writer is channeling my own mother. And as I described the relationship, it wasn't a positive one. So I think I was writing her very much as kind of a little bit of a caricature. And I luckily had good editors at my publisher who were saying, well, you know, I think she needs to be more nuanced. I think you're missing an opportunity here to make her a deeper character. And so I had to kind of divorce myself from my own mother and say, let's see what's going on with her. And she wound up being, as a result, my most favorite character because she was the most difficult to write. And I had to work harder on her to the point that people have said, oh, is there going to be a sequel? And I thought only if it can be from the mother's, you know, the mother's story uh, going on Ooh. with something that she would 
be doing later, um, but not not the two major characters. The the uh, character of the journalist was pretty easy to write. I was pretty well channeling Miranda Priestley in Devil Wears Prada and <laughs> and seeing Merle Streep in my mind the whole time I was writing her. Um, and, uh, and the 25-year-old, I just kind of channeled myself at that age. Um, so I think the mother was the more difficult one to, to not make into just a real strident political figure that was conservative, pro-life, uh, but to make it be, why is she like that? And I had some good coaches along the way as I've been starting my writing career that have forced me to always be looking deeper and looking for the why behind any character's actions. And that really stood me in good stead with her. Yeah, you know, it, I was wondering too, I I was so interested by the whole journalistic ethics sort of angle. And of course you have the mother running the um, political race. And it just got me wondering, was there research that you did to kind of capture that? I definitely sort of love being put in the midst of all that. And I wondered if you had done any interviews. Well, I, I had um, some beta readers and some people that did blurbs for me. Uh, Hank Philippi Ryan, who is an investigative reporter, but also a, a thriller writer. And I had a friend who was an investigative reporter, just and and a writer, but not as well known as Hank, um, read the thing to tell me about things I might have gotten wrong. I also come out of a journalistic background. I started at Northwestern in journalism. I was only in it for a couple of years, but I kind of have an affinity for that profession. And I think a lot, like a lot of us, we've really appreciated journalistic, uh, the, the, the profession of journalists more and more during the elections that we've gone through the last eight years, I guess I'd say, uh, as that's become a polarizing profession. And also just watching journalists overseas and how very brave and on the front lines they are, some of them losing their lives over trying to tell the truth and uh, get the truth out there so we can know how to make decisions that we need to, to make to that affect our lives. So I really have a big respect for that profession and wanted to make the story around that kind of line in the sand that a lot of those people really feel strongly about. And I do too. So it definitely shines through. And I, I thought there might be some um, time spent as a journalist in there. Cause it just, it, it just rang so, um, or what I would imagine to be true. I say that like I have, I, I don't know anything about journalism, but it just felt very authentic to me um, as I was reading. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And I love Hank Phillippe Ryan. She's, she's great. Well, I read somewhere in an interview that you had a bit of like a twisty path to publication. And um, <laughs> I always, well, I always love hearing about people's writing journeys I know there was like a, a small press that sort of imploded and um, exactly. just, yes, I'd love to hear a little bit about that because I'm sure there might be some other aspiring writers listening that are also having to kind of persevere on a difficult writing journey. 
Yeah, you never know where the path is going to take you. And and you mentioned that I was a podcaster, so I've also had the experience of interviewing about 140 debut authors and hearing their stories. So I was a little bit prepared for it not being a smooth path, but uh, I did initially go the agent route and tried to find an agent. And after about 50 uh, no's or close calls, I thought maybe I should be trying for small presses. And I did find a small press that accepted my manuscript. And, you know, I, you're so used to getting the emails where they say no, that when you open it up and it says yes, it's like, what? <laughs> Are you saying yes? <laughs> you have to read it several times. Anyway, I signed with them and they were women owned, which I liked. And I thought, well, I'm not getting any traction off the agent. And I'd really like to be published sooner rather than later. And there, there is a bit of you sign with an agent and then you still have to go through another hoop to get them to sell it to a publisher. So this was going straight to the publisher. So I accepted that. And I went through about eight months of editing with a very good editor that really, as I described, helped me round out the mother's role primarily and lots of other fact-checking and, and missed opportunities. I think there were things that I, as a novice writer, was missing in, for example, Megan has a best friend. And there were things that I was kind of glossing over. And she would say, I, I, you tell us this is your best, her best friend, but every opportunity you have, you kind of miss it. You don't go into how they're best friends or giving us any kind of little backstory about how they became friends. And so we flesh that out a little bit too. So anyway, there was eight months of that and I was just about to head into cover design and I was to publish in March of 2021. And I had a phone conversation with the cover designer who was a subcontractor to the publisher and said, I have to tell you some bad news. Everyone's, I'm not going to work with this publisher anymore and everybody else is quitting. And they had a small, maybe eight people that work there. And I knew my editor had quit, but she had told me it was because of her kids. And it was COVID. And I thought, yeah, well, that makes sense. Um, but then I learned that it was more than that. And other editors oh. were quitting. And the marketing person was quitting. And the cover designer was quitting. And that fact checker was quitting. And I did, it just was imploding. And so I... Uh, got out while the getting was good and got the rights back. Many of my fellow authors were not as lucky. They were all the way to, some of them were publishing in the next month. And so they were oh, really no. in, in a, in a big problem, but I was not that far. And so I kind of got the rights back and I went looking for another small press and I found one actually that is only 30 minutes from my house. And uh, I live in Milwaukee and they are in a suburb of Milwaukee. So that was a lucky, kind of a lucky break. I uh, found a great publisher and I can drive to them whenever I need more books or need to sign books. And I, it was a very collaborative experience. I got to be very involved with my cover, which I feel like is a great cover and has gotten lots I, of really great. Yeah, reviews. I was going to ask you about that. If Is that the a different cover than at the first press because oh, it is well we hadn't gotten to the cover yet on the first press oh i see and I so see. i had had some time to think about it <laughs> and uh i i uh, come out of an art background i had owned an art consulting company 
for years and years. And so I did have some, ex I'm not an artist, but I had a lot of background in, in looking at a lot of art and selling a lot of art through the years. So I had some particular ideas and I had done some research about what I thought worked for covers. So I came in as a fairly involved author uh, to the cover designer that worked at my publisher. And together we were, we probably went back for two or three weeks back and forth. She was very patient with me. Yes, I said, no, that's not it. Let's do something different. <laughs> and uh, I wanted it not to be literal. I wanted it to have an abstract feel and yet have three something. I wasn't sure. I, I kind of fixated on the scarves because I had seen that idea and said that would be, it kind of says feminine to me if we get three of them and we kind of mix them together that's what the story is. It's three women's braided stories together. And yet it's not three women's faces or something so literal. And so together we worked on it and came up with what I think is a really great cover. So it's gorgeous. It's one of my um, favorite covers I've seen lately. It's just so eye catching. And um, yeah, I do love how that it's sort of that abstract um, sort of symbolism of, of the three women, but yeah, not so literal. And I, well, and I also I also thought the scarves would be a, a material thing that I could base a lot of marketing on, you know, that I could have scarves at the lunch party. I could put oh. scarves in my Instagram posts. So I thought that behind it was also that the, the feeling that we could use this in the uh, graphics that we were using to in the in the social media realm. I love that. Well, that was going to be another question, kind of just what the experience has been like as a debut author, um, bringing the book out into the world. And um, and I know you have the, I do want to hear more about the Heroes Roar podcast. So I'm sure you were getting, maybe taking notes as you interviewed lots of I debut <laughs> um, authors. Yeah. But how has it been? Um, I hired a publicity firm out of Chicago. My book takes place in Chicago. So I wanted to make a a splash in the Chicago market, if I could. Um, and I hired a top firm um, to do my publicity campaign because I knew I couldn't get national publicity with a very small press. And uh, I would say they did a fabulous job. They got me lots of uh, national press, national media mentions. I was in Marie Claire. I was in Nerd Daily. I was in Pop Sugar. I was in a couple of Goodreads newsletters. I got like you said, a Kirkus review, Midwest books, um, you know, all kinds of uh, uh, places that I was mentioned. Lots of bookstagrammers. I did a bookstagram tour. So I was very pleased with the amount of publicity I got from, I, I got to write a column for Crime Reads. I got to write a column for Writer's Digest. Um, so I was very pleased with the amount of media coverage I got for what was not a book that was with the big five. And um, I wouldn't say I got very good bookstore placement. I found a lot of independent bookstores only are carrying uh, books that are from the big publishers or mm. local books. And I'm not local to anything but Milwaukee. Uh, but I think other than that, I got great coverage for a debut author. Yeah. You know, and I would bet that other listeners might be interested about going that route, particularly if they, you know, choose a small press. 
So how did that work? Did you sort of just have the publicity team for like a couple months around launch or or what was that like? I had them for six months, actually. Um, I started in uh, the book was published in March 2022. So it's been out only a couple of months. And um, we started in September with national media because a lot of those people will be working on their what they call listicles, you know, 32 books you need to read next spring or something in the fall. And so we started that in the fall. And then in January, February, two months before, we started more of the bookstagram um, and the local coverage and more um, getting reviews in newspapers. And also I also made a big push for podcasts because I'm a podcaster and I thought I was familiar with that space and that that would help me get interviews on podcasts. And there's lots of podcasts out there that that interview authors. So that was one something I wanted to also make a play for. In terms of the Hear Us Roar podcast, can you tell me how that got started? Is that something you had been interested in for a while? Um, were you a big podcast listener before that? Well, I started it four years ago, and I don't know how long you've been doing your podcast, but there weren't a lot of podcasts back then. And yeah. uh so I, it's, a, it's through the auspices of the Women's Fiction Writers Association, WFWA, and I was a member of that, and we had about 500 members, and I just thought, well, that would be cool. I'd like to, <laughs> I'm an ex-psychologist, as well as an art dealer <laughs> and a journalist, uh, and uh, so I thought, I'm a pretty good listener. <laughs> I think I could listen to people <laughs> on a podcast, ask them questions. And uh, so I just suggested it to the board and they thought, well, that's a good idea. Would you like to do that? You know, this is all volunteer. <laughs> I said, sure. I think I'm raising my hand. Um, so I just started and I did it a couple of times a month. I got some equipment and learned how to do it. I had some friends that had podcasts, asked them how it worked and got did what they had done. Um, and so now, I mean, soon I had just all kinds of people, not only that, but our, it got very popular and our, uh, association grew. So now we have like 1800 people and we had 500 people. So we had a whole bunch more people releasing books. And now I have to do it every week to even keep up. And my, uh, waiting list is like six months long. So (laughs) I got to talk to lots of people as a result, which was a great education for me. Uh, So not only sharing with our members, and we also are on Apple and Spotify and Google and lots of other channels. um, But it was, you know, an opportunity for me to learn what all these people had done that they would do again or that they wouldn't do again. That was that was not worth the money or worth the time. So when it came time to release mine, I had a a nice little fake MFA in my pocket from them. Yeah, that's great. And I am, I just recently joined the Women's Fiction Writers Association just as an aspiring, yeah, just as an aspiring writer. They just seem to have so many resources. I just took a webinar recently and they will organize critique groups for you. And um, yeah, it just seems really great. So, so as um, soon as you've got your debut ready to be published, I'll be having you on my podcast. (laughs) That would be great. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I always love to hear what authors are reading themselves and I'm sure you have a very long reading list for the podcast, but I'm curious if there's anything you want to recommend to listeners. Well, I don't think I'm the first person that was, 
would probably have recommended this, but there is a great book out right now called Lessons in Chemistry. Have you read that? I it's have by, not. It's by a um, British author. I think her name is Bonnie Parmas. I think I didn't look this up beforehand. Lessons in Chemistry. And it's um, a very tongue-in-cheek satirize, sat satire, I guess, about this very unique witty, funny, smart scientist. She keeps saying, not woman scientist, just scientist. <laughs> and she uh, is a chemist, actually. And But she's in the 1970s, I think. And so she's all the things you would think of during that time. She's not having an easy time making it in the chemistry world and is uh you know, poo-pooed as the little woman and all that. And through a weird set of circumstances, she winds up having a cooking show. And then it bears, bears a little bit into Julia Child's territory. And she says, cooking is chemistry. And she has this weird little, well, not weird little, but very uh, precocious five-year-old child and a dog named 630, and which I can't quite remember. I think she met her husband when he was six at six thirty. I don't know. You, it, it's very hard to, to review it, <laughs> but it's very funny. It's very witty. It's very well written. It's a debut, uh, and it, it's it's just a hoot when you're wanting something that's a little bit lighter, but also kind of serious about women's roles back in the seventies. It's a great great thing to read. Oh, that sounds great. I'll definitely link to that. Well, do you have a another book that you're working on next or anything in the works? I know this one just came out, but I'm just curious. Oh, yes, I'm working on an, that. That's the uh, that's what you have to do, because otherwise the Fuhrer dies down and you go, oh, now what am I supposed to do? And it's always <laughs> write your next book. <laughs> um, and, and I don't think I'm I'm not writing the sequel to this one yet, although that is in the back of my mind. But I'm writing a psychological suspense. And the tagline is an, an ambitious in district attorney uh, hunts the stalker that is harassing she and her teenage daughter only to wind up arrested for his murder when he winds up dead. Ooh. So that's what I'm writing right now. And I didn't get, I didn't give it away. That's given away in the first page. Um, so there's more twists and turns than I've described. That sounds and I'm great. having well, fun writing, writing twists and turns. I mean, this book had some twists and turns, but not nearly as much as the new one. So I'm having ooh, fun well, planting the red headings. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, as you're writing this second book and, you know, you have the popular podcast and, you know, promoting your first book, I'm kind of curious what your writing routine is like and how you're kind of balancing wearing all these different hats. Well, you know, I'm one of those people, I don't write every day. I know writers say, write every day, go there from nine to 12 and whatever. Um, I am thinking about the book most days, but I find that it's not real productive for me to sit down and just try and hash out something if I haven't thought about it. So I'm very much of an outliner, very much of a plotter. I have a very uh, extensive developmental 
synopsis that I work on by chapter as to what's going to happen. So when I am going to be writing, I will know exactly what the next chapter is. I write linearly, so I write the next chapter, at least in this book I am. Uh, this one is different in that I have to plant clues and I have to hide things. And so it's a little bit more intricately plotted, I would say, than the first one. Um, and so I'm not somebody that writes every day, but when I do, it's in the morning. It's usually nine to 12 nine to one, something like that. And then the rest of the day I am doing marketing or I'm doing real life stuff or I'm uh, doing the podcasts or other kinds of writing activities that I do. I feel like it's at least half my time I need to be giving back to the writing community uh, and then half the time I try and write my original stuff. I love that. Kind of getting that literary citizenship in yeah, where you exactly. can. Exactly. Um, well, I hope that um, listeners go pick up the book. I hope librarians um, order it for their libraries. And I wanted to mention, too, it would be such a great book club pick for um, people this summer. And I think I had seen something. Are you joining any virtual book clubs if people do it for a book club? I thought I had seen something about that. Absolutely. I have on my website, which is maggiesmithwriter.com. Uh, a whole section on book clubs. You can just drop me a note there and tell me if you'd like me to tune in if you're around Milwaukee or uh, Wisconsin or maybe even Chicago. I could come to your book club, but if you want me to just pop in and answer questions, there's also book club discussion questions at the back of the book. If you don't want to have me there, but you just want to discuss my book, uh, it's going to be interesting. Next month, my own book club is reading my book and discussing it. So that should be interesting. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> fun. I think they want me there, but we'll see. No, um, I think it, it, it has a lot to do, a lot that would recommend it for book clubs because it it does take into consideration that a lot of times people are disagreeing nowadays about political issues. And it tries to balance that out and say, even if we disagree, maybe we should be discussing some of this stuff. And I hope that it does open up some conversations between people to maybe respect each other's opinions a little bit more and try and listen to people that don't necessarily agree with you. Definitely. And certainly timely to be reading about that and thinking about it. Um, and I love when an author joins the book club. I just think it's the best to be able to um, chat about the book and then ask questions and so much fun. So I love that you're offering that. Well, Maggie, thank you so much for taking the time to come on A Bookish Home. Um, best of luck with your writing and congratulations again on Truth and Other Lies. And um, I'll definitely link to the Hear Us Roar podcast um, so people can check that out as well and, and your website. Thank you very much. For links to all of the books mentioned on this week's episode, you can visit abookishhome.com. And there you'll also find a link to our new online bookshop. Um, a Bookish Home has teamed up with the new organization bookshop.org, which supports independent bookstores. And if you'd like, you can browse books by authors who have been guests on A Bookish Home. I'm also sharing there all of the books mentioned on the podcast, books I've been reading lately, and other recommendations. It's a really wonderful site to browse and look through books. And if you make a purchase, it supports a bookish home and independent bookstores. So it's a win-win. So if you want to check that out directly, it's bookshop.org 
slash shop slash a bookish home. And you'll also find that at a bookishhome.com. If you are enjoying the show, I hope you take a minute to subscribe and also rate and review in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would encourage you to share it on social media to help other people find the show and this episode. Thanks for listening, everyone, and happy reading.